Good morning. It is uh, wonderful to uh, be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Mark Winton. I'm a PCA Army chaplain. Grew up at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, appreciate the grace that you're extending to me as a Kansas Jayhawk. Maybe I shouldn't announce that before I start preaching. Y'all went further than I did, so, you know, it's all good, right? Um, but uh, in all seriousness, I, I, I want to just publicly thank, um, I, I don't know you all, you all don't know me, but I've been just, um, as a member of the Heartland Presbytery, just been pastored so well by the likes of Brian, Travis, John, um, they've just been beer, dear brothers to me, extending grace, pastoral grace and kindness to me and to my family over the past uh, five or seven years or so. Um, so you all are blessed to have them in your lives as I am blessed to have them in my life. Um, we're going to be in Psalms chapter 17. Um, if you'd like to follow along, obviously the Psalms always point us to the glory and the goodness of God. Uh, they're written in such a way that, that capture both our hearts and our minds, and they speak to all of life, which is why we love them so much. And this particular psalm that we're in today, Psalm 17, most scholars believe that this is when Saul and David were in conflict. David decides to flee, probably finds himself alone and in a cave. And it's Important that we look at this psalm, right? You'll see, and we'll point this out later as we uh, get into this message, that this is a prayer of David, a prayer of a man who's after God's own heart. And that's why these psalms are so helpful to us, because they, they instruct and inform not just our prayers, but our hearts. What is it that we should value, and particularly what we should value in the midst of conflict. And uh, hopefully this will be a good setup for when uh, Brian gets to James chapter 4. So this is like a little tease as he gets into James chapter 4 in a couple weeks, talking about why we have so much conflict. So hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man by the word of your lips, I have voided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity, with their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. 
from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you will fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their, in, to, to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I invite you to join me in prayer. Almighty God, you know how much we need your word, how much we need your instruction. And we pray that because of your love for us and because you have made us your people, that even now you would not only inform our hearts, but that you would use this word to form our hearts, our lives. And we know that uh, we are incapable of that, uh, but we are expectant because of the power of your word and the power of your spirit to shape us and change us and make us long and live lives worthy of our King. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, being the youngest of four boys, I'm very familiar with conflict. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much very well trained in it. But my first fight was actually when I was a first grader at the first grade, uh, first ground playground at school. And uh, there was this kid, Wesley. And Wesley liked this girl, Candy. And I liked this girl, Candy. And so there we were on the playground, and you know how first grader fights go, right? Wesley goes, Candy's mine. And I'm like, no, she's not. She's mine. No, she's not. She's mine. No, she's not. She's mine. And this goes back and forth and back and forth, and I have about all I can take of it. So I take my Star Wars metal lunchbox, and I wail Wesley over the head. His head starts bleeding. He goes off to the nurse. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if really Candy became my girlfriend or not, but you know. Now, that kind of conflict, right, you, you know, it, it, you could look at it two ways. Either, well, wow, that's pretty impressive, Mark. You take matters into your own hands. Or you could say it's, it's really just petty. That's kind of what conflict does. Conflict always has this way of revealing something about ourselves. In my role as an army chaplain, one of the questions that I like to ask soldiers, particularly given what our nation and what our soldiers have been through the past 20 years, is this. I ask them, does, does combat make you bitter? Or has combat made you better? That's really not just a question that I ask them for their own self-awareness. It's a, a question that's been asked really of military historians, cultural historians alike. Uh, a scholar by the name of William Boyes, who was himself a Vietnam vet, wrote this in an Esquire magazine, Why Men Love War. He said, in war I explored a region of my soul that in most men remains unchartered. I surrendered to an aesthetic divorced of the crucial quality of empathy that allows us to feel the suffering of others. I stood on the edge of humanity. In another book titled Waves of War, a Normandy veteran said this, 
He said, Normandy made me a better man. It helped me face the joys and the sadness of life. In another article captured in the New York Post, what did World War I do to you? A soldier reflected that war cost me everything. It cost me my wife. It left my body crippled. But I gained an understanding and an acceptance that nothing else would ever give me. Now, I know not all of us know the realities of combat, but we all know the realities of conflict. So when you've gone through conflict, how does that affect you? Does that make you bitter? Or does it make you better? Whether it be relational, cultural, professional conflict, it's all around us. I think it's even being stoked around us. And whatever that conflict is, whatever, however you may have responded, it has revealed things about who you are. It has revealed things about what you value. And if you're anything like me, it reveals things that you, when it exposes that, it reveals things that you don't like about yourself. And I think that's why this psalm is so important to us, because Psalm 17, it instructs us and it informs us about what we should value in the midst of conflict so that we would not be bitter people, but that we would be better people. And we'll be better people because we'll see that it's ultimately God using conflict to drive us to our Savior. So today we're going to just look at this. We'll take a brief look at the, the nature of the conflict. We'll take a look at what does David value in the midst of this conflict. But most importantly, we'll see how this psalm points us to the person of Jesus Christ. So in verses 9 through 12, and I won't reread them or re-unpack them, but basically in that part of the psalm, we see really the intentions and the actions of the enemy. This enemy is set on undoing David, has no regard for David's well-being. We can see how they look and perceive David. They're surrounding him, ambushing them. Every intention Every action of the enemy is to completely destroy David. And you all are bright people, right? You know that in, in those times of conflict, the psychologists would say we have two, we do two things. We either fight, fight or flight, right? We either oppose the threat um, out of that self-preservation. We take care of the threat by disposing of it or we remove ourselves from that threat. But David's showing us there's another response here. Because again, it's so important. The titles of these, these psalms are so important. This is a prayer. So we're not just limited to, to fight or flight. There's another way that we see David entrusting the threat to the Lord. That's what we see. Yes, David is fleeing in verse 11, right? But we also see him entrusting the threat to the Lord. Because he says, arise, O Lord, deliver my soul by your sword, by your hand. 
David's entrusting the conflict to the Lord. And so whatever that conflict is that you're going through, if it's a relational conflict, if it's a cultural conflict, there's plenty of it, and we feel the angst of it. And, and, and we feel that, man, I, I just want to run away, or I just want to fight. But we have to remember that this is always the first response. Soldiers, right, they're, they're taught that the first thing is minimize the threat. I think the first response for the Christian always, always in conflict, whatever it is, is to entrust it to the Lord. And that's as we see David entrusting this to the Lord. Again, this is a prayer. What you pray for always reflects what you value, what's important to you. And that's why I think this psalm is so helpful to us. So, what is it that David prays for? What is it that he values in the midst of conflict? Now, whenever we're in conflict, conflict has this um, tendency uh, to disintegrate us. Now, all you young people in the room, when I say that conflict has a way to disintegrate us, you start thinking about Marvel and Avengers and Thanos gets all the infinity stones and just like with a snap, he disintegrates the blip and all of his opposition just disintegrates, blows to dust. But in the real world, that's not how conflict works, right? In the real world, conflict has this way of um, separating us into smaller pieces than us responding out of the wholeness or the fullness of who we really are. Conflict always dis, uh, separates us, kind of like think Dr. Jekyll and uh, Mr. Hyde, right? So in verses 1 through 5, what we see David valuing praying to the Lord about in the midst of this conflict is he's asking for integrity. He knows I need to live a life of integrity in the midst of this conflict. And notice in verse in 2 and 3, this, this isn't his own sense of integrity. This is an integrity that is before the Lord. He says, from your presence let my vindication come. You have tried my heart. You have tested me. He just doesn't want to be a life of integrity in his own mind. He wants that to be before the Lord. And then in verse 3 and 4, we're reminded that this integrity is both public and private. That it is before the Lord, but he also wants this integrity to be before men. The men that he lives in front of that they would recognize this integrity. But it's also private because he speaks about the watches of the night. The watches of the night. The watches of the night, that's typically when our failings and our weaknesses most plague us. In fact, one commentator put it this way. He said, the bottom of a man's heart is made manifest at night. And David's saying, I want my integrity. I, I want my integrity to be so complete that even there, in the weakness, most vulnerable times, that there will be integrity there. 
We also see that David longs for integrity both in his words and in his deeds. In verses 3 through 4, he says that my mouth will not transgress. My steps had felt, my steps have held fast to your paths. You see, that's a life of integrity, is it not? When your words and your deeds correlate, match up, when the way that I respond with my words reflects a life of integrity. Moreover, we see David saying in verse, verses 4 through 5 that integrity is both a positive and a negative thing. It's negative, David says, that he has avoided the ways of the wicked. But he also says, my steps have held fast to your paths. You see, a lot of times we limit integrity to be like, let me just avoid the ways of the world. If I just avoid all of that sinful stuff in the world, then I'm living a life of integrity. But integrity is avoiding that, but also pursuing that which is godly. It's not just avoiding, it's also what is it that you're pursuing? So again, it's a positive and in a negative. And so in your own conflicts, right? In your own conflicts, a lot of times what we value is we just want to be right. <laughs> if you're like me. I just, I, I just want to prove the rightness of my cause. I, I'm not letting go of that. I know that I'm right. And when you know you're right and you want your sense of right, like even in my own voice, you can hear it. You just, you start cranking up your intensity. So maybe a good reflection question to ask yourself is, when you see that intensity, like, am I really valuing integrity of this being right before God? Or do I just want me to be right? My own sense of rightness. Well, we see going on in David's prayer, not only that he values integrity, but we'll see that he also values intimacy. And why this is so important is because typically in conflict, conflict has a way, again, in that fleeing, in that self-preservation, we begin to isolate ourselves. And that's a very dangerous and vulnerable position to be in. And David's saying, I don't want to be isolated. I want to have intimacy. So in the midst of this isolated context, right, we think that David is in a cave. He is crying out for intimacy. And ultimately, he's crying out for intimacy with the Lord. He's saying, yes, Lord, I know I'm in the midst of this conflict, but I need to be intimately, spiritually, relationally connected to you, the living God. And so in verse 6, we see that David is calling upon the Lord. And he knows, he knows that the Lord will answer him. He knows that God is close enough to hear him. And that whatever danger, whatever conflict he is, that doesn't separate him from the care of God. In verse 7, he says, Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge. Doesn't that sound like intimate care? That's the beauty of God's love for us. 
It's, it's wondrously show. It's not just like, I'm going to show up because I care about you. It's done with wonder. It's steadfast. It's, it's consistent. It's intimate. And that's the beauty of who God is. That we shouldn't just flee from the dangers of conflict, but flee to the loving arms of God. David continues to seek the intimacy of the Lord. He says, keep me as the very apple of your eye. Hide me in the very shadow of your wings. That's how close, that's how connected he wants to be with the living God. To be that close. And you see, typically, in conflict, (laughs) we think that God is far. We think that he's distant. We doubt his care. We doubt his closeness. And when we find refuge in him, intimacy in him, that's what will ultimately diminish the anxiety of whoever is trying to seek us harm. You know, in my fight with Wesley, right? So we have that confrontation there. And you could imagine that Wesley was pretty upset about it. (laughs) Go figure. And so every day after that, Wesley continued to provoke me, continued to threaten me. So every day after school, I would find my big brother Doug and make a beeline to him. Because I knew if I was close to my brother Doug, that there would be safety there. And it's the same thing with us. In the midst of conflict, regardless of the type of knowing that the Lord is near, knowing that He is close, we should always value intimacy. Don't let conflict isolate you, either from the Lord or from those around you. And think about this. This isn't just for your assurance, but it also maybe kind of challenges your response when you are in conflict. If you're in conflict and you know that you have intimacy with the Lord, closeness with the Lord, you know His steadfast, wondrous love for you, doesn't that probably inform how you respond in the midst of conflict? that I don't have to lash out because God loves me and cares for me, even, even in, regardless of whatever the conflict is. So we see David valuing integrity. We see him valuing intimacy, but we also see him valuing identity. You see, when someone is really out to destroy you, if you are in serious conflict with someone, A lot of times that makes you ask things about yourself. Like, what's wrong with me? What have I done wrong? And it can make us question who we are. And so in verses 9 through 15, David is describing the enemy. And then in verses 13 through 14, we see him entrusting the threat of the enemy to the Lord. But in verse 15, we see this transition statement. David says, as for me, David is declaring something about himself, about his identity. What is it that he declares there in verse 15? 
He says, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This has all the language of resurrection reality. David is confident that even in the midst of this conflict, that this reality is true of him and for him. That this is greater than whatever the intentions of the enemy are. Whatever the enemy can do to him, he knows he's taking hold of his eternal identity. But you see, there's more for us as the Christian, is there not? David says that when I awake, I will behold the likeness. I will behold his likeness. But brothers and sisters, for us in Christ, we know that our eternal identity, it's one thing. We will get to see the beauty and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we won't just behold it. We get to bear it. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what makes grace so amazing. Not just that a sinful, self-absorbed Mark Winton will get to behold the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that one day that I will bear it. And don't you think, if that's my eternal identity, don't you think that that informs how I respond in conflict now? That we would respond in the righteousness that we will one day bear. Now, again, I took some preacher liberty here, okay? So I appreciate your guys' grace with me. Um, I like alliteration. I'm a real simple man. I like all my points starting with the same letter because I'm just, I'm like the Forrest Gump of theologians. I ain't smart, Janae, but make a good husband. All right? So I appreciate your patience. Okay? But these three eyes, your integrity, your intimacy, your identity, I think that's what makes us human. I think those are foundational for all of our lives, not just for conflict, but for life all together. I think it's a good question to always ask ourselves, am I living a life of integrity? Am I living and pursuing intimacy with the Lord and others? Am I really living out of identity? I think they're good awareness and assessment questions from us. But the first thing to remember is you're not the source of those. Again, remember, this is a prayer of David. Your integrity, your intimacy, your identity, the Lord is the source of those, not you. The other thing I would tell you, a lot of times we want to live lives of integrity, okay? I don't have a whiteboard here, but if I had a whiteboard, right, we all want to live lives of integrity. We'd put integrity at the top of the triangle. But I will tell you, you will not have integrity without living out of your intimacy and identity. Those are the framework. Those are the foundation. And ask me more about that. I don't have time to unpack all of that, okay? But I will tell you, that's just how it works. There's no integrity without intimacy and without identity. Now, I would fail you 
as a pastor if I just said, right? Okay, David prayed for these things, so you guys should pray for these things. David valued these things, so you should value these things, and that's it. But, you know, we just have to look at David's life, right? Did David always value integrity, intimacy, and identity when he was out in conflict? Israel's out in war. <laughs> Did he live out of his integrity? No. Did he seek I, intimacy outside of the ways of the Lord? He did, right? Was he living out his identity as a man after God's own heart? He wasn't at that moment. You all know what I'm talking about, right? But again, Jesus has. Jesus does. Even against the most formidable foe, even against the most formidable conflict, Jesus has done this for our sake. In the most, against the most formidable foe, against the most formidable context, right? When Jesus is there in the wilderness, right? Do you remember what was said of Jesus right before he goes and who says it? This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And there he is in the wilderness against the most formidable foe. The most formidable context. And we see him living out his integrity. Perfect obedience to God's commandments. Doesn't get tripped up. Lives out of this intimacy knowing that he's God's beloved son. Even as Luke records, the angels would minister to him after this. Living out his identity that he is the beloved son. Even when his identity is being challenged if you are the Son of God, do this and do that. And what is the outcome of Jesus living out this integrity, intimacy, and identity? Matthew records of this account, it's not that Jesus flees, the devil flees. That's what happens. But not just there in the wilderness, even on the cross. Jesus living out his integrity, intimacy, and identity, even on the cross. His integrity by saying, not my will, but your will be done. Perfect obedience, even when it's hard, being found faithful. Even Pilate saying of him that he has done no wrong. There on the cross, living out his intimacy. Yes, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he also, in that same breath, in his intimacy, says, Father, into, my hand, into your hands I commit my spirit. Living out his identity, being reflected in the Roman centurion saying, surely this is the Son of God. What is the outcome of Jesus living out his integrity, intimacy, and identity amidst the most formidable conflict and the most formidable foe on the cross? We see that in what the author of Hebrews tells us. That he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and free those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So brothers and sisters, what I, what I hope you see is that our greatest foe is ruined. Our greatest conflict is resolved because of Jesus' identity, 
Jesus' intimacy, and Jesus' integrity. Now, I don't know you guys, okay? But I do know myself. I hate conflict. I, I want comfort. I want ease. And I will tell you that, that when conflict comes, I don't naturally respond out of integrity, intimacy, and identity. You can just ask Karen and my kids. That's why I didn't bring them with me. Um, you know, because I didn't want to be, you guys have that freedom to ask them that. Ask, but no, seriously, I, I don't. Oh, I, I wish I did. I do want those. I want integrity. I want intimacy. I want, I, you know, to live out of my identity. I, I, I know that life is lived at its best when I respond out of those, when I live at those best. And it's not only for my good, it's, it, it's really for the good of those around me. And if you're anything like me and in, in the midst of conflict and you haven't handled it well, you hate that about yourself. Man, why did, why did I lose my cool again? Why did I destroy this person that I love again? And you hate that about yourself. But I would just tell you, you are clothed in the integrity and in the intimacy and the identity of your Lord Jesus Christ. Those poor responses don't define you. You will bear the righteousness of your Savior. None of us are so good that we can make all of the conflict, all of the angst disappear. None of us ever respond how we want to out of conflict. And, and I would tell you, like, this doesn't just speak to interpersonal, but like, there's just so much angst because of the cultural conflict in our world. And it saddens me to see how Christians are responding. I get it, right? I've got kids. I'm scared as all get up too. It's scary. But imagine the world seeing us respond out of identity, intimacy, and integrity. Imagine how much that, that would be for the glory of Jesus. So it is my prayer, brothers and sisters, that we would take hold of Jesus, take hold of his integrity, his intimacy, and his identity, and that which we have in him, that these are now and for all eternity, and that by the power of his spirit that we would take hold of these in the midst of conflict so that we might respond accordingly and for his great glory and his great worth. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we know that you have, <laughs> as much as we would love to be called to glory even now, you have prayed for us because you've asked us to remain in this world. And in this world, Father, we will have great conflict and great angst. But we know, Jesus, that you have vanquished the greatest foe and the most formidable of conflicts and that you are ours and we are yours. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would help us to take hold of your integrity, your intimacy, and your identity that we might respond in conflict out of 
your goodness and your glory. And not just for our ease and our comfort, but for your glory before a watching world. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.